had me at Jello, Jello. You had me at Jello. You had me at Jello. Oh, you had me at Jello. Hi, everybody. Five o'clock on a Friday. Hope you had a very good week of practicing. And I uh, hope you were inspired by all manner of things, so many things we can be inspired by, just even the sound of the cello, the wonderful repertoire we have, and all the online resources, and every five o'clock on Friday, cello chat. So with me today, I'm thrilled to have Erica Lessi. How are you doing, Erica? I'm delighted to be here. I always love to talk about cello. So. Excellent. Terrific. Well, it's nice to see you. So uh, let's start with your with your musical background, your your story with respect to picking up the cello in the first place, and then all the way to how you got where you are now. Wow, that's a that's a long long story. Um, so my my dad loved music, and he decided since he didn't get a chance to play as a kid that my brother and sister and I would take lessons. So we all started on piano and. Um, then we picked up another instrument and I think I played violin briefly in the school system. Maybe I was in first grade and now I started piano at five and, um, I played a little bit of violin, but I think it was clear that it was not for me. So then my parents got me a cello and, um, my brother and sister played violin and then my brother switched to viola. So we, we did this growing up throughout our, our childhood and we played trios together and, um, played in a quartet briefly and, played chamber music, I think from, I played chamber music starting a year after I began cello. So it's always been in my life. We always played orchestra. Um, so my dad decided that we should play musical instruments and it was left my mother <laughs> to practice with us. So she had to uh, go to six music lessons a week between the piano and the string instruments and, and haul all the instruments and kids to the <laughs> lessons and practice with us. So I think my mom got the short end of the stick there, but um, I'm so glad that between the two of them, they, they made sure that we had um, a musical life as kids. And my brother no longer plays, but my sister and I do. And um, yeah, I can't imagine what I would have chosen otherwise, but I was just told I was going to play. <laughs> and so that's what we did. And um, I, I think the reason I kept playing as I just couldn't see myself not doing it on a daily basis is really what it came down to. I mean, I had other interests, but I felt like that was part of my identity. And plus the thought of, I think, doing a, a desk job <laughs> frightened me like many of us, right? We like to be out and about. We're used to being in orchestras and chamber music and doing a variety of things. And um, so that's why I think I stuck with it as it just seems like it seemed like it was a part of my identity. And then um, I just, I think I just got interested in, in, um, in college and in all sorts of world instruments. And um, I studied some ethnomusicology. I was almost an ethnomusicology minor in grad school. And, um, but have always had a love of instruments. And my mom and I used to go to the auction houses that's how we ended up with our instruments. Every Friday when I was in high school, we would go. And I just loved seeing all these instruments everywhere. Yeah. And then my dad um, loved keyboard instruments and he became an amateur pianist when uh, I was a kid. And we had 
um, an upright piano, a, a player piano, an organ, a harpsichord, and a clavichord in our house. So it was basically any floor you went to, you could play a keyboard instrument. So there was music everywhere. Nice. Yeah. And your schooling and whom you studied with. Okay, so I went to undergrad uh, with Fritz Mog at Indiana. And then I went to Florida State for grad school, and I had a variety of teachers. And um, actually, one of my, I think, seminal teachers was Martha Gershevsky, who was not even at Florida State, because we, we kept going through different cello teachers um, year after year, and it was just circumstance. And uh, But Martha taught at, um, what's uh, I guess it's now Columbia, it was Columbia College, I think it's been renamed. Um, and I thought she was an amazing teacher. And so I, I went and studied with her a few summers and took some lessons from her and wish I'd had more chance to um, work with her. She had a program and she maybe still does called Cello Mania. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but you, you show up early in the morning and you have to work out and then you, it's cello all day long, okay. which great. is awesome. Yeah. And then, yeah, so then I did it at Florida State, I did a uh, master's. And then I did most of a DMA. Um, I, didn't fin I didn't finish my thesis, but my thesis uh, was on what I called variant cellos, which led to my, actually, I think I, I should backtrack a little bit. Um, since I was taking ethnomusicology classes, my ethnomusicology professor um, showed me a picture of a barrel cello. And it was when the internet was, so I, I guess I got my master's in, 1990. So it was around there that I saw my first variant cello or unusual cello. And it was a cello made from a barrel. And it was um, from the upper Midwest. And it was at the Shrine Music Museum. And I just thought that was the neatest thing. And so then I started searching for cellos. And it took a while until the internet really came into being. And I'm, I'm still collecting cellos. <laughs> I love it. And then... Um, one of my, I think my doctoral entrance exams was on um, women composers. And so then also my interest of in women composers came out of that. So a lot of things started with grad school, I think. All right. And now you do uh, uh, teaching and quite a bit of performing. Can you talk about what you do now in the Chicago area? It's interesting because because of the pandemic interrupted everything, right? Um, and also in November, my husband died of cancer. So, uh, and previously I lost both my in-laws and my father. So in a three and a half year period, we had four, four deaths. So along with the pandemic, so <laughs> everything kind of got, you know, um, put to the side. So I'm now just finally getting back to uh, the things I really want to do. Um, I am I'm teaching, uh, and I'm, I'm doing some teaching online, which is actually kind of fun. I, I, I wouldn't like it, but I do. And uh, I have a flute and cello duo called Cherche La Femme that's ded dedicated to performing women, compo women composers. Nothing against men, but we just decided that women were um, underrepresented. And we've been doing this for some years, but when I first started looking for cello and flute repertoire by women, I really didn't know if I was going to find much. And really we have discovered a lot. And we do, you know, she does flute, uh, Lisa Gothi McGinn is my flutist. She does flute solos. I do 
um, cello solos too. And, um, and I've done some arrangements of older works because obviously in, you know, 1100 people weren't writing for flute and cello. Um, and then I think gradually that led me to realize how many good women composers were out there writing for cello. Mm -hmm. We had originally um, decided we were going to do a piano trio and then it just seemed easier to just do the flute and cello. And so I started discovering all this solo cello repertoire. And um, so now I am sharing the cello repertoire on, and I'm just going to briefly mention this because I know we're doing a separate podcast, but the Cello Museum, which my friend Brenda Neese started. Um, so people can just look up the Cello Museum and you will come across it. Uh, and I have a column in there. Last year's was called uh, That's What She Said, and it was all about women composers for solo cello. And this year, it's just postcards from Erica, and it's about um, black composers for solo cello. So, you know, one thing kind of led to another. I, I realized how much good solo cello repertoire was out there, and I hadn't known about that before, so I figured I would share that with everybody else. So people can go online. It's a free um, site. And it's not just a museum. It's most things cello. We won't say all things cello. <laughs> articles, you know, and we're um, offering some classes. People can take cello classes online um, or, or purchase um, asynchronous classes too about cello technique. Um, but yeah, so I figured I would, would share these pieces with people so they could know about the solo cello repertoire. And so I, I present three pieces every uh, month and people can listen to recordings and find out where to purchase the music and just kind of a level on the music. So I think one thing just keeps leading to the next thing and I have no idea what's next, but yeah, it's kind of fun. Excellent. Excellent. You know, I flute and cello, I think works really well. I mean, of course yeah. the cello has such a, a huge range and sometimes the issue with strings and winds is they're, they, they're louder and they can cover us. But the, the timbre of the flute is such that we can still be heard, even if they're playing Absolutely. the best register. And, um, and you think about how often flute is paired with violin, where we right. have a very similar overtone spectrum and, and it, it blends well. That's, that's neat. Well, and also, she, uh, Lisa Gothi McGinn plays C flute alto flute and bass flute nice which is in the same range as the cello and it's actually softer than the cello so when we play together she actually has to mic so that i don't overpower her wow <laughs> but we can do some cello duets that way it's kind of so we have this whole range Perfect. yeah that's neat that's neat yeah. all right so you said there was you just couldn't imagine not having cello in your life yeah. and i think there are quite a few people in the country who know enough cello that they can, you know, they say, okay, I do play the cello, but how often they actually get the cello out and play it is not necessarily on a daily or weekly or monthly basis, depending. Um, but but there, is, there is this hump that you can get over and when you get to the other side where you can't imagine not having cello in your life, then of, of course you're going to get it out every chance you get. Oh, I have, a, a, I have some free time. What should I do? I'm going to get out my cello and play it. 
So with your students, for example, what do you do to help them get to that point where they can't imagine not having cello as a major part of their life? Well, I tell them having a stand with your cello out and you're, you know, so you, you don't have to get the cello out of the case because people think, oh, I have to set this up. It's going to take a few minutes. Just buy a you know, cheap cello stand. There's zillions of them out there. You could spend $20, $30, put it in the corner of a room, put your cello on it, have a stand and have the bow on it and music ready to go. And it's sure sitting there. So if you have five minutes, people are amazed what you can get done in five minutes. You really, you don't have to set aside this big practice time. You do five minutes there, five minutes there. Um, and I, I have what I call the five-minute rule. I, t- I say you always have five minutes in a day when you can practice. Even on the, you know, busiest day, you could practice for five minutes. You might be really tired, right? But if everything's there, and so you're actually just touching the cello, even if you're just running through the scale or two and running through a piece, that, that keeps you in the loop. So you don't make it this thing you have to do. Um, And especially adult students, I find, have trouble finding the time to do that. You know, kids, the parents will say, go practice. (laughs) But so I say, if you could practice five minutes and then if you have more time, great. But just start with five minutes and then you will find that you probably can do 15 minutes. And then you might come back and do 15 minutes later or, you know. So that it doesn't have to be this huge commitment. I like that. I think that's the key. And have, have the instrument out. All right. You know, as long as you don't have small siblings that can pull it over. <laughs> <laughs> or or, yeah. or maybe pets or something. Yeah. So let's see. The, the idea of the cellos of unusual shape. I I love I love the museum you're talking about, for example, and I love the idea of uh, being drawn to the eclectic, uh, I mean, large variety of cellos that are out there. And sometimes when, I, when you think about how different a cello can sound, even if it just has a different wood for the back, yes, or, or different things that different types of woods that people have used for the sound post, even yeah, uh, just those things can have a big impact on the sound. Then when you entirely change the body, like some of the ones that are in the background, uh, can you, I mean, I know that you have a lot of cellos and probably have even encountered vastly more than the ones that you actually have. But what, what, do you, what words of wisdom do you have about the, the ability for that uh, you put the cello strings and you bow it in the way that you know a cello sounds good. And you can get a, in some cases, probably a surprisingly nice sound out of what doesn't necessarily look like what it what would give you a beautiful sound. I'll, I'll give you an example, actually. I think, let's see, it was less than two weeks ago that I finished making this cello. It's the only cello I've made. Um, there, there was precedent for it. It's a pitchfork cello. And in the upper Midwest, loggers used to make cellos um, out of pitchforks or shovels, whatever was around. So I actually have a luxury saddle that's, I'm, I'm, you know, starting to plan it and and it's on the website, but um, I have yet to give it about cellos of the upper Midwest that were made out of farm implements, whatever. So I decided to make the pitchfork cello because it was kind of central to this. And I was amazed actually it has a, 
nice sound. It's a one stringer, but I'm just going to show you that. Um, and first, actually, I'll show you. Let's see if you can see all of these. Okay. In the corner. All right. So I have here is a um, water jug cello. Here, this, this is a giant next to it. Is That's six feet tall. That's made from a violin case and a uh, crutch foot, and it's got a plow handle at the top. Oh, and so you have to stand and play it, but it actually totally feels like a cello. And it's got weed wax strings on it. Um, up at the top, I've got a strobiol. Then down here, yeah, next, I don't know if you can see this one. Let's yes. see, I'm gonna this uh -huh. one. Um, That is made from, um, and it's made by the same guy who made the big, tall one. It's made from a cigar box and a fruit bowl. And then next to that, I've got um, the shovel cello, and that's actually got two external resonators. You put play it on a barrel, and then you play the top with a, um, since there's no fingerboard, you play it with a box, and that's the second resonator. And then I've got my um, pitchfork cello, which I will show you in a minute. And then let's see, okay, this one over here, <laughs> I love this one. Um, there's a life-size, this is called the Uncello. And it was made in the 70s for an opera in New York. And um, since then, a lot of high school students have used this as a project for their Science Olympiad. So this is a mini Uncello because the regular one is tall. And some, so two girls had made this and their dad sent it to me and I was very happy. Um, it didn't sound very good, but then I strung it up with viola strings. And, and it sounds pretty good, but um, I don't have the strings off now because I need to replace the nut. <laughs> then up here, I have a 10-size cello. Oh, and I'll just show you very quickly that, so 10-size cellos sound terrible with cello strings, um, but they actually sound pretty good with viola strings. <laughs> so this, this one's not in tune, I don't think, but... <laughs> Yeah, so it gets a pretty good sound. So I'm gonna, that's gonna be one of my projects is to learn um, the box, especially the fourth box suite, right? Because it's uncomfortable with the E flat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could play it on this without stretching. Yeah. So I'm gonna, that's one of my projects. Um, let's see, whatever here, I'm just gonna pick up the computer and move it. Yeah. I've got my Zeta Electric, which is actually the only manufactured cello I have. Hmm. Then um, the one that's attached to the wall there is a um, cigar box cello, and it's actually got bass, electric bass strings on it, and it's got a resonator cone, so it echoes, and you can plug it in. It makes sound by itself, but you can plug it in. Huh. Um, then I've got the theremin cello here, Yes. and then I've got this 10-string electric made out of... Uh, a crossbow and various metal pieces that you can bow. <laughs> wow. And I have a, hopefully a magnetic cello on the way. And I have a carbon fiber cello. And there's a man who's just made um, a carbon fiber and 3D printed cello. Huh. So that will hopefully, I, I can't wait to try that out. Right. Um, that should be pretty good. So I will show you that. Okay, so I just completed this. I had a pitchfork that I intended to use, 
But then I thought if I took it out and people played it, they might get impaled by the pitchfork, and I, I just <laughs> didn't want that. So this is actually a manure shuffle. <laughs> so, and then you can see that I have – I had to think about this a lot. I found a, a, a screw-on knob here. It's probably like a – I don't know what kind of knob. Anyway, um, mm. And then here, I still have to cut the, the wire, but I have a wire to hold on the string. Uh -huh. And then I made a, um, here's my tailpiece. I made out of a piece of jewelry and a piece of wood. And then the cello is connected here, just um, like you would connect pipes a lot on the little wall. I actually do have a real cello bridge because I, I found that in my house. Um, this is the interesting thing up top here. Um, this, I always forget what you call these, pipe sleeve, I think is what it is. Okay. So that acts as, um, as a nut. Yeah. And then this is, this is just decorative because I, I felt like I needed a scroll on the top. Right. So I've got a rooster on the top. Um, and the back, so actually I originally cut this out of plywood to fit a, um, it was like a, a wash tub, a small wash tub. And then when I attached the pitchfork handle to it, it, it bowed or it went straight. So it never, it didn't fit the back. So I decided I would substitute it at the last minute and I have two plant planters uh -huh. and then two pieces of plywood in the middle. And then I found a piece of spruce in my house that happened to be the right um, length for this. I just had to cut it down dimensionally. And then I attached this and this was all a gamble. <laughs> this was gonna sound, but one thing I did do was I didn't want the top plate touching the entire front of the boxes because I figured it would kill the vibration. Um, so these two pieces in the back are actually a little shorter so that the top is not resting on those. So it's only touching on the Sitka spruce Okay. And then the two plant boxes. And because there's no fingerboard on this thing, um, you have to play it with a piece of wood. <laughs> Which I figured is like the box, right? That's what I figured. You had to use something. They used to use handles or pieces of, of, of uh, you know, the wood off of the, you know, there. Anyway, so I have yet to learn how to play this thing. One thing you will delight in, this is hilarious, because the um, this is bouncy, if I just mm -hmm. hold on to the bow, uh, onto the stick here, and I, I can bounce it, listen to this, I get instant vibrato. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? That's, that's hilarious. <laughs> but then I do have to learn how to play this, but I'll give it kind of a go so you can... It was a G string at some point, I think. So it, it, it produces a fairly decent tone. I'm surprised. You know, for what, under a hundred dollars, you know, <laughs> of stuff. So there's, there's, yeah, that's, that's the pitchfork beast. Wow. So, so Erica, I have a thought. You're with your students. I wonder if you've encountered as many as I have. There are some youngsters in particular, I think, although maybe some adult players too, 
where you talk to them, for example, about, about being relaxed and, and such, but their habits, the moment that their cello starts getting near them, they immediately go into, but I'm thinking that with the variety of, of cellos of unusual shape, is there something where like with a student, you can just, that it's so different that it doesn't trigger all of their, their habits and they can yes. kind of let go of some of their built-in uh, tension, you know, yes. approaches to the instrument. That's interesting. Well, and I think you do have to approach each instrument individually and figure out, like I have the one that you have to play standing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's six feet tall, right? And I already stand with my electric. So that I had to kind of get used to finding cello in space. And it, it sits much more like this than, than this. Uh -huh. Right. And um, yeah. And playing. Um, and some of these are very skinny. So you have to be much more relaxed with your legs. And I, I don't know. Have you played Baroque cello before? Uh-huh. Yeah. And if you, I think everybody should try Baroque cello because when you hold the cello that way, your approach to, to cello becomes different, right? Because you're creating the box with your legs and then you set the cello down into the box. So it's about how you sit and then the cello comes to you. And I think so many people think that you have to go to the cello as opposed to you have to get comfortable and then bring the cello to you. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's really the important part of the, the the piece of the puzzle, I guess. Yeah, I, I agree. And and likewise, you mentioned uh, when, you know, standing and playing, sometimes when we stand and we get the benefit of what violinists and violists get, I mean, when a violinist or violist is standing, you don't have to remind them that they can shift their weight and kind of heft their own body's balance. But when we're on a chair, for some people, that yes. just immediately removes that. And, and I'm curious, when you play, when you stand and play, like you said, for the electric, um, do you play it more like a bass or have you tried the various, the straps, like the block strap or? I do have a harness. Um, so the <laughs> funny thing about the Zeta is I did have the original parts to it. And then I lent it to somebody who lent it to somebody else without my permission, and they lost the parts, the attachments. So then I tried for a year to get the parts back, you know, from Zeta, and I, I they just never sent them. So I actually got an NS harness, I think, at that point. Yeah, it's the adjustable. Um, this creature, and and I just uh, my husband put uh, a block on the back to screw this into. And I, I, I this is not the perfect situation because it room, you know, it runs around a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I have never um, done that. I, I have a carbon fiber that he also built a harness for for me, which was brilliant. And it's got a swivel on the bottom so you can adjust the end pin angle and it's on a, a drum harness. So that you can really walk around with and it stays put. Hmm. And he measured it so that it's the same angle as if you were sitting. Wow. So it really comes out and feels very familiar and then you just walk around with this. Yeah. Um, so I'm not really thrilled about my setup with the electric. 
I'm not playing the electric as much as I used to um, because the band I play with has gone to acoustic instruments um, just uh, with straps on. But at some point, I will make a better system for this now that I'm making things. (laughs) All right. Excellent. That's got to be fascinating. You know, and I mean, maybe you thought about it before already, but I'm thinking there are definitely ethnomusicological either journals or conferences where they would they would love to hear about your explorations of uh, all things, you know, the, the evolution and the breadth of uh, cellos. <laughs> they keep coming, yeah. <laughs> I, I will run out of room soon. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I would, I definitely want to, go around and, and uh, present these cellos and, and write articles about them. And we'll present that on the, on the um, cello museum too. But I just want people to know that cello doesn't have to be this elitist thing. They don't have to be expensive. As I, I bought, you know, I built that cello with plumbing and electrical supplies and playing boxes, right? I <laughs> went to the farm and fleet to get the pitchfork. And it actually sounds pretty decent. So you don't have to spend a ton of money. You can make your own instruments. And then, you know, start on something. If you're not sure you want to play the cello, get yourself a cello string, um, build yourself an instrument, try it out. And then if you're interested, then you can move on to a a four stringer. (laughs) Right? That's great. All right. Well, you know, I have to reach out to the, the museum in South Dakota and see if they want to have you as a Chicago. I, I think definitely I will, I will go out there. That That's the thing is I've thought about, I originally planned to fly with all of these, but I just, I just can't see how it's going to happen. <laughs> so I think I'm going to have to be mobile and uh, Brenda, who's started the cello museum. And I have talked about having a um, portable, uh, like a mini house that we drive around with the cellos in it. So it has a stage built into it. And then you, you just have all the cellos set up and then, you know, have a sleeping compartment above and drive to your, wherever you're going to play and then open out and you have your stage there. That's in the future at some point. But if there's anybody who wants to donate a tiny house, (laughs) (laughs) I have room on my property. Excellent. All right. Uh, upcoming projects, performances. What are you excited about for this fall or the next spring? Oh wow! Well, I um, I'm just writing grants right now. I want to take these cellos out into the schools. So I want to I have two very both diametrically opposed uh, presentations. I want to give. I want to bring the farm cellos out, lumberjack cellos, whatever you want to call them. And, and show them to the kids and show them that they really can build these and create these at home and start learning an instrument um, wherever they live. These are very cost effective, right? And I want them to know about the history that, you know, in the Depression before then, people always made music. They didn't have to have a fancy instrument. They made music with whatever they had because that's part of the, the human experience to make music, yes. right? Um, so I'm writing grants for that. And then the other... I kind of have the the acoustic side and the the electric side. Um, I want to have one about how technology uh, uh, affected uh, the progression of the cello. So with this, you know, regular cello with starting in the 1600s when they figured out string technology, 
and figured out how to make a good sounding cello string. And all of a sudden we could play solo music instead of just sounding like a herd of elephants, right? <laughs> um, up to the stroviol and then the electric cellos, um, theremin cello and, and the carbon fiber cello now and how technology, um, you know, altered the course of, of cello history and encouraged people to invent things. So that's the other lecture recital presentation I want to give. Um, also, I'm looking for, I'm always eager to find new music. So I, I hope I can find time to um, learn some new literature. I really am looking forward to that. And I would like to see um, high, high school and college programs start to alter um, what's expected at recitals. I want these new these new composers, especially women composers, women uh, composers of color, um, to start being valued. So that when we go to do a college audition, we don't just do you know Haydn concerto, Lalo concerto, some Bach, and you know Brahms sonata. <laughs> that we that we pick some more modern choices. Not that you can't do those, but that was, those were written several hundred years ago. Let's let's do something that people can relate to now. And um, you know, cello has been traditionally the white realm, and I want students of color to be able to see themselves in in composers and in this this instrument. And so, it's my goal um, at some point to start trying to have those conversations and seeing how can we introduce these other works um, and make them equal in people's minds. They are already equal works, but how can we um, incorporate them into traditional repertoire? It's very true. It's a good point. There are instruments with small repertoires where it's kind of a rite of passage to go through this, you know, list of pieces. At some point, yeah. you're always going to learn this concerto and this concert yeah. piece. But the cello repertoire is big. You know, yes. I mean, it's not as big as the piano repertoire, but it's certainly big enough that we should be able to have everybody explore all of these wonderful possibilities and uh, yeah. not have to follow the same path. Well, and it's not that we don't want to learn those pieces, but we also can learn these other wonderful pieces that are out there. Yeah. And that's and and people are talking about, well, how do we invite audiences and get young people to participate in the cello, but we have to bring it up to date. We're still mm -hmm. living as though it's 17 something mm -hmm. <laughs> or 18 something. Um, so yeah, I'd like to be part of that conversation and, and changing that. Um, and so that's why I'm you know, assembling this list of pieces and, and videos so I can say, well, this piece is at this level, this is comparable to this concerto, why don't, why don't we try this? Because there, there's plenty of repertoire that's very good, that's modern, that, that's not atonal, that's plenty technically challenging. I mean, some of these pieces I pick up and I think, wow, that's, that's going to take me, thank goodness somebody made a recording of this already, because <laughs> that would take me a while to learn. <laughs> yeah. All right. Outstanding. Wow. Well, thank you for this. Uh, it's been a fascinating discussion including this, I have to admit, um, wild collection of cellos that you have. Uh, but if nothing It's an else, illness, I have to say. It's an illness. No, it's great. 
if nothing else, the five minute rule. If hopefully yes. this weekend, everybody will get plenty of time to practice. But if we have one of those super busy days, you can always get five minutes. Just have it right out and ready to go. And yes, and, and practice your scales. Practice your scales and your arpeggios. Arpeggios are your friend. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then just then, you know, then go look for a new piece. Maybe if you're bored, maybe you just need to listen for a piece that you've not heard before and you might be excited about learning. Yeah. Definitely. Right? They're out there. Yes. Yeah. Thanks again, Erica. Okay. Thanks, Ben. And best of luck to everybody. And we'll see you this time next Friday. Take care.